When you think about it, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty stunning how much time we spend at work as a portion of our lives. And one of the things that I'm, I'm very thankful for is that the Bible is not silent right, on work and family and just everyday life. And maybe there's no book that's more directly practical. Now, all of God's Word is practical to your life. But maybe there's no book that's more directly practical uh, than James. Uh, you could certainly make arguments other places, but um, James just kind of goes right to where we live. So we're going to start a 10-week series in James. Uh, don't let that overwhelm you. I'll take the first. So it's, it's very easy to watch this series. Uh, there's five chapters. Each chapter gets two weeks, and you get a new teacher each chapter. So that's the plan. So two, I'm going to teach the first two weeks. Then Nick's going to teach. Nick Peterson's going to teach a couple weeks. Uh, and then Pastor Lloyd's going to teach a couple weeks. He doesn't know this yet, but he's chapter three. I mean, he knows he's teaching, but he doesn't know he's chapter three yet. And then he's going to do a couple weeks, and then Daniel Kaminsky's going to do a couple weeks in chapter four, and then Paul Folks is going to wrap us up in uh, chapter five. So if you want to prepare yourself for these equipped classes, you can follow along in that way. Um, let me encourage you, like I said, if you'd like to um, serve at Riverton City Park in a few weeks, uh, we would love for you to do that. If you and your spouse or just you would like to serve and just uh, let the community know a little bit about Gospel Hope, jump in and do that. Let me also make you aware of a couple things that you can be in prayer about. Um, I actually intended to share these during our offering time, but didn't. Um, many of you know uh, Josh and Shannon Rader. They sit kind of back uh, where um, the Henrys are, kind of right in that area. They're here probably every other week or so. Um, but uh, just got married in June, um, around 30 years old, I think. And um, this past week, Shannon's dad died unexpectedly. Um, so she went back east. I think it's New York. It's either New York or Ohio for the funeral. And um, if you could just be in prayer for them, uh, Josh and Shannon, and uh, in prayer for her dad. I know um, when she comes back, uh, just having a praying church family and people who love her will matter. And uh, so keep them in your prayers. Um, and then also be in prayer for Dave and Linda Adam. Uh, they were planning to go back to Illinois, I think, on a little road trip at some point this fall. But uh, Linda's dad uh, has taken a turn for the worse and is not doing well. And so if you'd pray for them, um, they are headed back that way, if not already there. They made it uh, today, yesterday or today. And um, so just, just be in prayer for the Adams as well. Um, there are always things of weight going on within a church. If you don't know how to pray, you can always pray for, for people who are carrying things. Uh, some are shared, some are not, um, but those are good things for us to be in prayer, uh, prayer about together. So let's pray, and we'll jump into James chapter 1. God, we thank you that you are powerful, and you are good, you are kind in all your works, you are righteous in all your acts. Thank you that we can study your word together, and it gives us truth for everyday life, God, I pray for um, the Raiders, for Shannon, especially in this time of unexpected loss, that you would comfort her heart, that you would help us as a church family to come around her and love her and um, comfort as we can. But may she know you as the ultimate comforter. Lord, we pray that you would give opportunities for the gospel even through this difficult time. Lord, we pray for the Adams, uh, for Dave and Linda, as there are parents in latter stages of life, that you would um, just give them wisdom as they work through and navigate that, but also just special times of love and care together. And uh, we just pray for Linda, especially at this time. 
And Lord, uh, even as there are other things going on of great weight and uh, even just small things that are very discouraging or fearful, we pray that we would know daily that you are with us and that you uphold us, that you are our fortress and our rock, our shelter, that we can run to you and truly that our souls can be safe. And we pray that you would comfort those who need it, you would encourage, that you would empower, um, and that all that would happen so that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. James chapter 1. So the goal of this study is just to talk through the book of James, study through it together, give you some tools, uh, help you even in your own Bible study. How many of you noticed that I didn't read the, verse, the exact words on the screen this morning when I was in the offering? Yeah, some of you did. Uh, you're kind of attuned to that. That's because this morning I grabbed uh, a Whopper. Uh, this is a study Bible of mine. And uh, it's actually NKJV. It's not ESV. So it didn't match up with the words on the screen. I didn't realize. I actually realized that when Danny started reading for this sermon. I turned to my wife and I go, did I read the words on the screen? She's like, nope. You read but it's a good study Bible. I would encourage you, if you're going to buy one tool to help your own Bible study, a good study Bible is the best tool you can buy. It'll give you introductions to books of the Bible. It'll, it'll, a good one will deal with things that you don't understand and might have questions about. Uh, so like this is my study Bible for the book of James. And you can see that James chapter 1 is kind of up here. And then there's a bunch of comments and thoughts and questions answered kind of down through here. So there are a lot of good resources out there. There are some bad study Bibles. So uh, if you would like some advice or guidance, we can try to steer you to one that would be a help to you. Um, but that's why I have this Bible this morning, uh, even as we start this study on the book of James. Look at James chapter 1. Let's jump right in. Because that's what James does, actually, and you'll see that in a sec. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ... To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. This is an interesting book because it's a book written to people who are in new places and who have some new problems, but it's a book written from an old friend. Go to Acts chapter 8. I want to show you what's happening to the people that James is writing to. Acts chapter 8. We'll spend most of our time in James, but I want to take us back to Acts 8 quickly. This is right after the story of Stephen being martyred. And chapter 8, verse 1, says this, Now Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Skip down to verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Turn over to Acts chapter 12. Here's the audience and the writer of the book that we're about to study. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. You say, how bad was it? Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Not the same James who wrote this book, a different James. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also, put him in prison, verse 4 tells us. So this is a time of persecution and Jewish Christians being scattered everywhere. So the church starts 
right, in Jerusalem, and we read about Pentecost and all these people getting saved and the church being planted, but almost immediately persecution arrives and the church just gets scattered. Now put yourself in the shoes of those people. Jewish Christians under threat from their own people because they rejected Jesus being the Messiah, because they thought this was a fraudulent religion that threatened their country. And so there's death, threat, persecution. And so people are scattered. Now make that really practical. Where did they leave? They left home. Where did they go? To some place that wasn't home. There was upheaval. They were scattered. What is home? I mean, if you were to Google home today, you would see uh, realtors trying to sell you houses. And you would see house upon house upon house upon house. But we all understand that home isn't a house, don't we? Home is much more than that. Now, in part, it's a house. But home goes a lot deeper than that, doesn't it? I mean, when I say to you, where is home? Colleen and I were wrestling with this um, all-important question of if something were to happen to us, where would we be buried? You ever thought about that? So Colleen grew up in Michigan, and I grew up in New Hampshire. And then we have friends from Indiana, so the first eight years of our married life, we lived in Indiana. And then we moved to Colorado, and we lived there for five years, and now we're in Salt Lake City, Utah. So we're very confused. I mean, it's kind of funny. I had this discussion with a couple people the other day, and like I asked Kevin, where's home? Kevin grew up in Hawaii. They were in Guam for 14 years. So for some of you, home, you, like, you, you know right where home is. And it's the place where you know the streets, and you like the food, you know the people, I grew up in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, nobody waves at each other. Now, there's a good reason for that. I don't know you. I just don't. So when you walk on the sidewalk, you don't exchange pleasantries because I'm going to work and you're going to work, and that's fine. Now, some of you are shaking your heads because that's not how it works in your home. So then we move to Indiana. You know what everyone does in Indiana? They wave at each other. I don't know why. No, I do know why. They're being friendly. That's what, and those of you who've been to New England are like, yeah, you guys aren't friendly. So, but you understand the place that's home. So for us, kind of home is Michigan, New Hampshire, Indiana, kind of comboed, and now we're learning to love the West. But home is the place where you feel comfortable, where you know the people and the things and you have the relationships. And so here are people who have been scattered. So what happens when you have to uproot urgently? I mean, what does that cost you? All of a sudden, everything is new. And you don't know the people. And your financial world is uprooted. And maybe your food world is uprooted. Maybe for good, maybe for bad, I don't know. But everything is uprooted. And everything becomes unsettled. And there's a lot of challenge going on to these people that James is going to write to. A new place 
with new problems. But here's James, and let me just tell you a little bit about James real quick. This James, who wrote this book, we believe, is the half-brother of Jesus, who was the pastor at the home church in Jerusalem. And so here are these people that he knows and loves, who've been uprooted and scattered, and he sends them a letter. Isn't there a sweetness in a letter from home? I mean, I can think back about some of the churches that I grew up in. And I can tell you today that if I went to my mailbox or opened my inbox and there was an email from one of the pastors that I grew up serving with, and it just said, hey, Matt, I've been thinking about you. God's put you on my heart. I'm praying for you. And here are just some thoughts from God's word that I'd want to encourage you with. Do you know I would cherish that letter? It would be a a balm to my soul. And that's what this letter is. This is someone who cares and knows these people and wants to encourage them. Now, he's going to jump right in. This is not a warm and fuzzy starting letter, okay? Now, I don't know how you guys enter Beachwater, right? There are the timid crowd. Anybody in the timid crowd? You work your way in very slowly. Right. Anybody in the dive right in crowd? It's like three steps and yeah. You're right, by the way. Because that's the way I do it. So you're right. No. Some of you are married to someone who enters the water the other way. There's a lot of temptation there to, yeah. Anyway. (laughs) James dives right in. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, people I love and care about, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. There's not deep comfort here. There's not a paragraph on God's love and care and character. He just goes right in. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But let the brother of low degree, or let the lowly brother, glory in his exaltation. But the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation or endures trials. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. But let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. My beloved brethren. He ends where he started with these people that he loves. And I'll tell you what, these 17 verses or so are pretty familiar. But even as I studied and read them this week, isn't this the beauty of God's word? that it just brings you back to the truth that your heart needs. That you read something that you've read many times before, or maybe it's new to you, and God just encourages your heart. So, 
These verses answer four quick questions. That's what we'll hit this morning. The first is this. What about the pain? What about the bad stuff? Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Aren't you thankful that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat pain? That it doesn't paint life with this pretend fairy tale perfection? I mean, can you think about some places in the Bible where God exposes, even in, even in stories where we really respect the person involved, where God exposes their pain or exposes even their sin? Can you think of stories like that throughout your Bible? I mean, I'll give you one that maybe you wouldn't naturally think of. God calls Abraham and leads him across the world. And Abraham takes these big steps of faith following God. And he lands in Israel, in the promised land where God was sending him. And what does the Bible tell us is one of the first things that comes to Abraham when he makes this life-changing journey to the promised land? A famine. I got to tell you, that's encouraged my heart. Because there are times when I'm following God in faith and I'm like, this is going to work out. And then I'm like, famine. (laughs) And I'm just thankful that God says, this is what human life is like. Can you think of any others? People enduring trials or even their own just sinfulness being on display? You can say it out loud. This is a saying out loud question. Job. (laughs) Job, 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 and Job. Yes. What else? David and Bathsheba. Right? I mean, we, we actually even have this fairy tale view of David's life. And the, he went through a ton of hardship, middle, beginning, and end. Or beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, that way. You think of other pain and suffering and hardship? Yeah. Right? We get to the end of the story, but there's a lot of pain and hardship along the way. Can you think of others? Ruth. Yeah. Yeah, to the point where, you know, people are being named mourning, you know, sadness because of those early stages of life. Can you think of others? What? Yeah, just the whole cycle of ups and downs in the book of Judges. Yeah. I mean, Paul, just read the book of Acts. And we have this view of Paul, like, man, look how God used him to plant all these churches, but there's persecution, and he even admits, like, personal struggles that he has that keep him humble. So James just jumps right in and says, life is filled with pain. It's filled with hurt. It's filled with trials. I mean, if we were to go around the room today, and if we were able to be honest and share, those things would exist in abundance right here. And some of them would be chronic and recurring, and some of them would be large and just happened, and some of them might be many, many years ago and still lived out like this is fully a part of following Jesus and James to encourage these people spread and scattered goes right there and he says embrace it he says rejoice in it be thankful for the pain why well again Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking nothing. Do you know why we use the phrase, it builds character? I mean, parents, some of you use it too much. That'll build character. I saw some Calvin and Hobbes comics this week. If you, if you want some humor in your life, just go look up Calvin and Hobbes. It builds character, and you'll, you'll have some humor in your life, right? But do you, know why, do you know why we say that? Because it's true. Because the hard things that God is bringing into your life, they do shape you. They do develop you. They do produce steadfastness. They do strengthen your faith. They do work something in you. I mean, the Joseph that stands before Pharaoh is different than the Joseph that gets sold into Egypt. And the Paul that sits in prison writing to encourage churches and says, I've fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I've kept the faith, is different than the Paul we just read about who stood and approved of Stephen's death. And no matter where you are on that journey, and no matter how deep and sudden the trial is, or prolonged and painful, no matter where it is, God is doing something in you. He is. When I was in college, I played uh, on a soccer team. Don't, don't get glory pointed there. Our college didn't have a, a soccer team for the school, so it was kind of intramural. But the team that I played on was pretty serious and pretty competitive and had been pretty successful. But one of the reasons for that was all the teams practiced uh, in the afternoon from about four to six. So you could go across the soccer field and there are just teams everywhere practicing. And so we would all practice and then we'd try to end around dinner time so everybody could get dinner. Sometimes that practice went through dinner. But that's when most of the teams were done practicing. But the team that I played for had running practice at night. And so we would practice for two hours in the afternoon. You would snag some homework for a couple hours. And then at night, at 9 o'clock, we ran. And I can tell you, there weren't many other teams out running. Practice was done, they were done, but we weren't done. And so at 9 o'clock, after two hours of practice earlier, you'd show up and you'd start running laps on the track or around the field. We would do runs, you know, of different difficulties and lengths. But I remember as a freshman thinking, what are we doing? And the senior said to me, oh, we play a 90-minute game, 75 minutes in, you'll be glad you ran. And when all those other teams are getting tired, we'll be ready to go. And you know what was true? I mean, the running hurt. And I wasn't always thrilled with it. But at minute 75, I was pretty pumped that I ran the last two weeks. And as the season wore on and you grew in strength, there was patience produced and endurance produced. And that's what God is doing in our pain. And then James asked this question. What about the unknown? What about the stuff I can't even wrap my mind around or understand? Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. What do we do when we just don't get it? Or we do get it, and there's no way we can figure it out. What does God say? Just ask me. 
Just ask me. Come pray. Beg me for my help. And what does he promise? I'll give it to you and I'll give you as much as you need. Why do you think the next couple verses are included? But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Why are those verses there? Okay, so if I ask and I don't believe God's going to answer me, then I'm just saying words. What do we do sometimes when we're overwhelmed and don't have answers? Maybe we do ask God, but then what do we do? We doubt. We try to figure it out ourselves. We try to go find other answers. Like, well, I'll ask God, and then I'll check with all my friends, and maybe they can help me out in this. Google. Google might have an answer. What's the medical one? WebMD. Right? No, it's not wrong to research. It's not wrong, but when we don't have answers, God is the one who has answers. And James says, go to him and ask. Look at Job 28. I just want to read a couple verses to you. Job 28. Truth for people far from home. Job 28, verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be purchased for gold, nor sil can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. You can't buy it. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. Verse 20, For when, where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living, and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, We have heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way, and he knows its place. I don't know what you have going on in life right now that just doesn't make sense and you can't put the pieces together. But ask God for wisdom. James answers a third question. This is a fun question we always ask. What about other people? I know I have trials in my life. But whether we like to admit it or not, we do have this sense that there are people in the world whose lives are free from care. Most of the time, who do we think's lives are free from care? Everyone on Facebook, right? It's idealism. The, I've curated my life so you can see what I, can, what I want you to see. Who do we tend to think lives free from care? Rich people. That, it, that if you had enough resources, I could just make this all better. Look at what James says. Let the lowly brother, verse 9, glory in his exaltation. You say, why would he say that? You know what James is essentially saying? People who are poor live in trials all the time, and they should be thankful that they do. 
because God is shaping their character. But then look what he says. But let rich people rejoice in their humiliation because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. You know, trials are the great equalizer. When someone loses a child, it doesn't matter how much money you have. All of a sudden, it's all on the same plane. When someone gets a diagnosis of cancer or terminal illness, trials have the power of reminding us of what's actually already true. We're actually all the same. Now, we don't always live that way. I love what one author has said. Faith in Christ lifts the lowly brother beyond his trials to the great height of a position in the kingdom of Christ. Whereas God's child, uh, where God's child is rich and may rejoice and boast. Faith in Christ does an equally blessed thing for the rich brother. It fills him with the spirit of Christ, the spirit of lowliness and true humility. As the poor brother forgets all his earthly poverty, so the rich brother forgets all his earthly riches, and the two are equals by faith in Christ. The writer goes on to say, that's right, that's right, he's thankful for this comment. And I believe that equality is driven home through trials. When you lose a daughter, or lose a son, or lose a wife, or lose a husband, it doesn't matter how much money you have. None of it is going to buy your way out of a trial. None of it. Trials bring us to the same level of dependency on God and thus bring, hum, bring us humbly to the same level with each other. So James is saying, don't look around and say, well, he's got it way better than I do. I mean, I'm, just, I'm, I'm honestly just looking around this room as I'm teaching and, and, and people are going, I live here. I, I'm actually living here right now. And some of you in a deep way. What God is doing is good. And that's the truth we all need to hear when our lives are scattered, when there's upheaval and things are bad. James answers one last question. Well, well what about the evil things that do happen? Right? Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. What about when things are wrong? Well, the first thing James says is don't blame God. The, the bad things that we deal with, they actually come from inside us. And we're tempted by the natural desires that we have. And by the way, those desires are indiscriminate of social class. The anger and the lust and the worry and the fear and the coveting what other people have, that, that's indiscriminate of who you are or what clothes you wear or what home you live in. And James says, yes, there's evil in the world. I was thinking about this in the context of these Jewish Christians who've been scattered all around the world. Can you imagine some of the cities that these Christians landed in? I mean, for them to leave Jerusalem where there was some semblance of the worship of the one true God and his rules and guidelines for life. There was some structure there that they related to. And for them to be spit out into the world, into a place like Ephesus, filled with idolatry and pagan worship, for them to be spit out into a place like Corinth, 
For them to be spit out, have you ever looked around and thought about, I think about this with my three-year-old, what will his United States world be like? And James doesn't downplay the reality of evil. But he says, any discussion you want to have about God and evil, don't make God responsible. It didn't come from him. Don't blame God. The evil stuff comes inside, from inside of you, but take it seriously. Because evil fully developed, verse 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So pursue God, pursue a walk worthy of him, no matter what's happening in the culture all around you. You'll notice that I skipped a verse, but it's at the heart of this text, isn't it? Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation or trials. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Don't ever forget we are strangers and pilgrims in this place. And God calls us to endure. You say, but my life is in upheaval. Maybe you have relocated, and you can totally feel that in very practical ways. Maybe Utah has always been home for you, but there's trials going on that maybe no one in this room knows. Can I just tell you? God's word comes to you with real-life answers you're going to need tomorrow. It comes to you to encourage you and to call all of us to endure in following Jesus. Can't you hear the echo of Hebrews? That Hebrews 12, the one who endured the cross and ran the race to the end, calls us to endure and run too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of James. God, I don't know all the situations in this room, but you do. And I know just from the words of James, your words, that our lives are going to be filled with various trials. Lots of different shapes, lots of different sizes, lots of different times, but they're going to be ever-present. God, would you teach us to rejoice in your work even when it hurts? God, would you humble us that we would seek wisdom? Would you help us not to trust in our riches? And if we're living in poverty, that we would be thankful for the work you're doing, that we would follow you humbly. And we pray for your grace to endure, to walk worthy of the calling with which you have called us. Lord, we live in a world filled with sin. It's ever-present in our own hearts. And so we pray that we would not blame you, but that we would follow you, that we would pursue peace and holiness with everyone, and that you would use this book as we study it together to challenge and encourage us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.